And hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are joining me on another edition of Observations. Thank you for hanging out in the land of Observations, where we talk comic books, pop culture, toys, movies, TV, everything in between. And uh, this chronicles my journey through comic books as a kid, through my career uh, until now. I, I, again, I, I was fortunate enough to get into comic books, make comic books, make some really fun comic books, and meet all of you amazing people along the way. Today, we are going to get right into it with a comic book milestone. A comic book milestone that was so important that in uh, 20, 2014, back in 2014, as I am about to board a flight to Cleveland for a comic book convention, uh, that, that, that has uh, a number of guests whom I definitely want to interact with and encounter, I make sure, I, I, I grab in my office two of these comic books and tuck them into my portfolio. They wouldn't fit in my bag. Okay, there's a hint. Too big to fit in my, my, my um, art bag that I carry with me. But my portfolio will keep these snug and, uh, and clean and flat. And I pack them in because I am going to be seeing Stanley and Neil Adams. And these two gentlemen play a huge part in this these comic books that I'm bringing with me on this trip that I am going to present to both of them because I want to not only get their John Hancocks on these, I, I, I want their signatures. I also want them to tell me a little bit of the story and a little bit of the history because I've been able to decipher and, and kind of put together that there was more to these comics than I could have ever imagined. And, and these comic books are milestones. I call them Clash of the Titans. Ironically, the, uh, it was billed as the Battle of the Century. I'm going to take you back to 1976, January 1976. This thing came out top of the year. Uh, 1976, I am eight years old. I am going to the liquor store where I get so much of my comic books. It has a larger selection than the 7-Eleven or the grocery store market. And the main thing is when you go into this liquor store, the spinner rack was in the back, but the magazine rack was pretty much right as you walked into the liquor store and you turned left and walked by the first massive array of glass bottles of alcohol, liquor, vodka, all of it. And these guys in that store, they love me. They always love seeing me. They knew my comic book uh, addiction. But at the in the magazine shelf, that's where Marvel magazines lived. They had an entire uh, very successful line of Marvel magazines. Planet of the Apes was published by Marvel. It was a line of magazines, uh, 60, 70 pages of, of, of Marvel-produced Planet of the Apes stories that took place all over the Planet of the Apes world that we were exposed to in the films. They had a Deadly Hands of Kung Fu magazine, which had all their karate and martial arts characters. They had uh, they, they had sci-fi magazines, and they also had uh, a, an enormous amount of uh, magazines from other publishers. Warren Magazine uh, published a, a magazine called The Rook and Vampirilla, and so there, there were sci-fi magazines like Starlog, so many different offerings. So you had to give the magazine rack a check. Well, they also, they also had 
racked only on these shelves because they were too big for the spinner rack because tabloid comics, they, the, the treasury size edition tabloid comics, if you ever go into your comic store, they've got to have some. I've, I've really been seeing them pop up more on the convention circuit. They they are put out on end caps on shelves at these conventions for you to, for them to pop your, you know, get your eye, get your, get your attention. These tabloid slash treasury size edition comics at the time were really popular as they were promoting reprints like the Galactus story from Fantastic Four, all four issues with Silver Surfer and Galactus in a giant 12 by 15. So this is much bigger than your average like eight and a half by 11 range comic book. 12 by 15. I mean, these earned their size and their scope. They always commissioned a brand new cover. Um, very eye-catching, but it was, I'm telling you, it was a way to grab our attention. On this particular morning, it's a Saturday morning, I turn the left corner, walk to the shelf, and you guys, I was absolutely amazed, uh, enthralled, uh, could not even begin to behold what was before me. It was a giant tabloid size edition comic book with Superman flying to the left of the page. Arms, you know, cocked in, in, in a battle position, cape waving, and he is facing none other than Spider-Man, who is perched atop the antenna of the the, the, the spire of the Empire State Building and all of New York City is beneath them and it says Superman versus Spider-Man. Superman versus Spider-Man. Now, I had only been in this comic book thing for a short while. Good year, a good long year. I bought Superman comics. I bought Superboy and the Legion, mostly Marvel at that time, but I was aware of DC Comics. They were, they were coming home with me, just not in as great a quantity, but come on, who doesn't know Superman? He's the greatest superhero of all time. He is my favorite DC standalone uh, hero character. I, I, he is an icon. Spider-Man is Marvel's icon. They are facing off in a giant tabloid 12 by 15, the greatest superhero team-up of all time, the banner says. I'm holding it in my hands right now. The battle of the century, it says. Superman versus Amazing Spider-Man. DC and Marvel Comics present. And I grabbed it. And they only had one, and I looked at it, and I poured over it, and it is an all-new, original, 90 pages. This thing is packed. It's like three comic books, actually more like three and a half comic books worth of this amazing conflict. Again, it's not Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man and a big versus, versus. They're throwing down. They're fighting. I glance through it. I see Lex Luthor. I see Dr. Octopus. I see Superman, I see Spider-Man, I'm just blown away. I have to have this. I am literally shaking as an eight-year-old because what? What is this? How did this come to be? And I'm going to pause right here and tell you that one of the magic elements of this age of comic books that really would end toward the late 80s. So, so in 1976, we've still got about, you know, 14 years, 13 years before this entire element of surprise, this idea that I could not anticipate this happening because no one told me this was coming. There was not a giant ad. It wasn't something that I was aware I was going to be experiencing or seeing or finding out. I just did not know Marvel and DC would be jamming it up with their two flagship characters for this giant crossover. 
nowadays, everything is telegraphed. The, the previews catalog, in case you did not know, your comic book, your average comic book retailer is ordering from a giant catalog, a thick inch and a half catalog jam-packed, and there's catalogs inside the catalog. Marvel puts a catalog inside the catalog. You know, I think DC does the same. All these items that you have to choose from in, in, in terms of when you're ordering the comic books ahead of time. So so you get a glimpse of what's going to happen in August, in May. The, the catalog lands, and so the element of surprise is very much removed. You know there's going to be a giant crossover. All the worlds are going to collide. The invasion is coming. Hell's going to break loose. The mutants are going to be outlawed. This is stuff that they anticipate, uh, that they need to give you and telegraph to you so that you order comics as a retailer, and then they tell you that they're going to be supporting it in this massive campaign to drive readers in to buy these comics from your local retailer. And look, it's great that they have that support, but the element of surprise has been completely removed. We've all seen movie trailers where we go, did, did they just show me that entire movie? Did I just see the whole movie? Is, is, is all the good scenes in this trailer? We've all had that moment. We've all sat back and gone, wait a second, because they definitely want me in that theater on opening weekend. Did they really just show me every possible great scene? And we all know that there are movies that that absolutely has been and will be and continue to be the case. Well, in this day and age, you guys, that didn't happen. You didn't have this forecast of events. You found out stuff was happening when you arrived at the store, at the market. You go, wait, Frankenstein? Frankenstein's monster is battling the Avengers? What? How'd that happen? Didn't see that coming. Wait, the master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi, is, is, is battling Spider-Man? You found out when you got there. You found out when you got there. Very few ads, very few um, key elements and events have been telegraphed. In this case, little Robbie Liefeld and most kids like me had no idea that Superman would be showing, off, uh, would be, would be showing up to square off against Spider-Man. Much less did we anticipate it in this magnificent treasury size edition comic book. Now, how did this come to be? How did Marvel and DC get together to give us this comic at the top of 1976? Well, interestingly enough, if you can even begin to believe this, how does Watergate? Now, what is Watergate? It is not about water. Watergate is a hotel and uh, it, 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 is an, it is a place where a an act occurred that uh, was... The result was the, the the resignation of the president of the United States when I was a kid, Richard Nixon, resigned from the presidency. And it was all over a scandal called Watergate. Who brought Richard Nixon down were two uh, reporters uh, named Woodward and Bernstein. Woodward and Bernstein, famously portrayed by Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman in the movie adaptation of their best-selling memoir that told the story of this called All the President's Men. Liefeld, what are you doing here? How, why are we suddenly Nixon and All the President's Men? Marvel in DC, this happened, this came together because, simply because, the agent who represented Woodward and Bernstein, Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, a man named David Obst, he was a casual comic book fan, and he had brought up to both the president of Marvel and the president of DC Comics 
that he believed that if they could combine their most popular characters, that there was a huge marketing and let's let's be honest, commercial selling event that would occur. So David Obst, who is thanked in the actual greatest superhero team of all time, the Battle of Century Superman versus Spider-Man, he is thanked by Stan Lee in his foreword. And I'll get to that in a little while, but at the end he says, and, and we wouldn't be here without literary agent David Obst. And it turns out that he was the man to approach Stan Lee and Carmen Infantino, the publishers of the respective uh, Marvel and DC imprints, and tell them, look, man, you, you got to get these characters together. People will show up for this. He saw the future. He knew what we wanted before we even had it. So this literary agent who represented the two men that brought down the president of the United States is who we thank for this amazing outing. Now, you're like Light Lightfield, you're, you're even more excited today than you, than you normally are. Listen, let me tell you something. This is one of the best tabloid treasury edition comics you are ever going to experience. The only one that gives it a run for its money is Superman Muhammad Ali, which is 100% Neil Adams. But Neil Adams plays an important role in Superman Amazing Spider-Man. You remember, I told you, I packed this comic book, two of them, in my portfolio to make sure that I could get it with me to Cleveland where I would see Neil Adams and present it to Neil and also to Stanley. This was of utmost important to me because at this point, uh, I have been reawakened in 2014, 2013. My love of my generation of comics really took over more than anything because I just thought that these comics have not been surpassed. They have not been exceeded. I don't think the comics of today hold a candle to these comics. And really, that's no different than saying, like, I don't think there's a better adventure film than Raiders of the Lost Ark that's been made since Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in 1981. I th still think the original 1977 Star Wars is pure and brilliant and never needed any sequels. It ends with that medal ceremony. It is a triumph. It is my favorite of all the Star Wars films. It is a standalone. I like all the other ones, but Star Wars is just a perfect movie. It's like saying that there is no better uh, crime or or yeah crime oriented movies than than The Godfather or since Goodfellas, which I know there's a, a, a nice gap there, but Coppola, Scorsese, these guys are the masters of the form. These comic books were doing it in a way that would just, it, it'd be hard to duplicate. This, this Superman-Spider-Man team-up takes full advantage of the format. It is gigantic. Now, if you happen to try and track this down, I'm going to remind you at the end, you can go to Amazon, you can go to eBay. I don't know where these exist, but try and get, if you want to experience this, get the tabloid treasury edition. Get it at the size you're intended to uh, interact with it at. It was produced big because the action's big, the images are big, the consequences are big. And cutting back to that moment in that liquor store where I am trembling, it is a $2 purchase, you know? Uh, David Obst, who convinced them to do this, clearly uh, was was uh, very uh, you know prescient in 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 telling them guys you know they'll they'll pay more for this they'll pay more for this two dollars comic books were about thirty cents at this time okay just transitioning from twenty five cents to thirty cents I told you this is about three and a half you know uh, uh, issues of content in here but it's two dollars so it's not just three comic books it's you are paying for the event two dollars back then is a big deal well I save lunch money for just an incident. Or, or an ins instance like this. I 
ran home. First, I tucked it behind as many other magazines as I possibly could. How many of you guys have done the same thing, have tucked something you want, whether it's a toy, a comic book, kind of said, oh, I can't get this right now, but I need I need this to survive by the time I get back here tomorrow, three o'clock, as if, you know, clerks don't come by and check that stuff. But when you're, when you're eight years old, you're like, I'm going to be back here in a half hour, maybe an hour max. I just need no one else to see this. So I buried it behind as many other magazines that could obscure its presence. And I hauled ass on my skateboard five blocks home, ran inside. First, I hit the cushions, ripped those cushions up. Kids, before Venmo, before PayPal, you got money under the cushions. You were you were digging and grabbing quarters and nickels and dimes, and I think I was able to muster an extra 50 cents. You know, something fell out of my dad's pocket, my mom, whatever, it went into the couch. So now I got about a buck fifty. Well, then I entered the negotiation with my parents for the advancement of 50 cents. What chores may I do to get this 50 cents advancement in 1976 so that I can run downstairs, get get back on that skateboard and get to the liquor store and get that Superman Spider-Man before it goes. Guys, Marvel and DC teamed up their characters for the first time. This is a big deal. So I I negotiate successfully. I win two extra quarters. I probably have a nickel for the tax, whatever they're going to charge me. I run back to the liquor store. Thank God. In 30, 40 minutes, no one had taken my copy of Superman versus Spider-Man. And you know what? Once I knew it was mine and I could pay for it at the register... I pretty much sat there and stood there, stood there in front of the shelves and experienced it all on my own. Now, I'd love to tell you that I was obscuring anyone else, but the liquor store, while it had a great magazine section, you didn't go to the liquor store for the magazine. So I wasn't really in anybody's way. I was in my dark corner of the liquor store, pouring over these giant pages. Who produced Superman and Amazing Spider-Man? I'll tell you who. Uh, Marvel and DC divvied up teams the way you would divvy up teams on the basketball court or in the yard uh, before you're going to pick your baseball teams, okay? You know, DC got first pick, Marvel got second pick, DC got third pick, back and forth. That's how they assembled the writer, the artist, the anchor. I'm not making this up. This is chronicled. This is part of the story. Part of the history of them combining to do this was, okay, well, DC, you get to pick the writer. DC felt that Jerry Conway, Jerry Conway who would create Carol Danvers or create the persona of Ms. Marvel, write the adventures of Ms. Marvel as Ms. Marvel and establish all of that stuff that you saw in that wonderful movie. He would be the guy behind Punisher. He, Jerry Conway wrote some of your favorite Spider-Man's Avengers, Fantastic Four, Justice Leagues and Superman in the, in the seventies. He also had done a long extended stint on Spider-Man and was deemed the perfect voice to bring this story together. And I'm telling you right now, he was the absolute perfect voice. Jerry Conway created one of the most entertaining, engaging, fun, interactive, uh, just inspiring stories. He was the guy. They nailed it. This is a crowning achievement. The penciler, a, a gentleman named Ross Andrew, had penciled Superman in the late 60s, early 70s, and was in the midst of being the guy giving you your monthly Spider-Man Adventures. He was your guy. He gave you your monthly Spider-Man Adventures. This is the age of the Spider-Man mobile, a, a, a car Spider-Man ad that was driving up walls, uh, the Jackal, Hyena, some really trippy uh, Spider-Man era villains. But Ross Andrew uh, had, had been doing a really uh, 
celebrated entertaining run on Spider-Man during this time. So they tapped him because of his also mutual history with these characters. Now where the snafu comes, and you'll learn this in the course of studying it as I did, that Ross Andrew really wanted the dedicated inker who had done most of his work and was inking him at the time on most of his jobs, including Spider-Man. He wanted a gentleman named Mike Esposito, who was a long-standing uh, Silver Age Marvel, Silver Age Bronze Age Marvel inker. He inked everybody. He was Ross's guy. Well, DC said, "No, that's not your pick to make." At, with our pick, we select Dick Giordano. Let me tell you about Dick Giordano. Not only would he go on to be an executive editor, publisher of DC Comics, uh, executive editor, big, big, big wig guy behind the scenes, one of the guys that gave me uh, one of my earliest gigs at DC Comics. But before he was an, a, a big time executive. He was the premier inker embellisher of comic books. He was also a ridiculously talented penciler, illustrator in his own right. He had done entire issues of comics, pencils and inks, you know, Aquaman, Superman, Justice League. He, he was an amazing illustrator, but his calling where he made, uh, I think, most of his vocation, his skills was as an inker. He worked out of Neil Adams Continuity Studios. Neil Adams was the premier illustrator, uh, comic book artist of his age. People call him the first fan favorite. It's because he did extra renderings and doodles and musculature and cross-hatching and just brilliant, beautiful-looking faces and figures. That was the, the, uh, the, 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 the benchmark of any great Neil Adams drawing. And Neil Adams, which we're going to expand on him in a little while, he would then also do this he had a huge illustration uh, uh advertisement advertising career where he was doing all sorts of ads for you name it shoe companies food companies i mean twinkies sneakers neil was hugely in demand his continuity studios was bringing in all sorts of business with his advertising arm and uh it, it literally uh, one illustration, one advertising illustration in 1975 would pay more than an entire comic book uh, that Neil would illustrate. But Neil loved comic books, so he kept his feet in comics, his mini toes in comic books, and his continuity studios would straddle both worlds. They would do the advertising, and they would also do the comic books. And so many great inkers came out of, and, and pencilers, mostly really established inkers under the tutelage of Dick Giordano. Terry Austin, who was one of the most popular, competent, successful inkers of any age. Joe Rubenstein, uh, Bob Layton, Bob Wyacek, Bob McLeod. The, the, the premier inkers came out of the Neil Adams Continuity Studios. Dick Giordano was selected to ink Ross Andrew, and Ross Andrew was apparently not thrilled with this. Dick Giordano speaks about this in numerous interviews given, reflecting on this, that he was aware that, that that Ross wanted his dedicated guy, a guy who he was very comfortable with. When you are, you know, in sync with an inker, when that when that guy has your back and knows how you finish lines, it's like finishing sentences. It's like a it's like a almost a successful romantic relationship. You don't want it broken up. But in this instance, DC was like, look, we we believe Dick Giordano was the right guy for the job. I, as a fan. And Rob Liefeld's a pro believed DC made the correct call. Dick Giordano was indeed the correct guy to finish Andrew on this work. Now, at Marvel at the time, you have the senior art director is 
the most celebrated Spider-Man artist of his age. John Romita Sr. followed Steve Ditko's groundbreaking run on Spider-Man because Steve Ditko brought Spider-Man into this world alongside Stan Lee and gave him that amazing, incredible uh, rogues gallery, which I believe is the finest in comic books of Vulture, of Electro, of Green Goblin, of Dr. Octopus. I mean, these are amazing villains. I'm, I'm leaving out all sorts of ones. But Steve Ditko established the look, the feel, the creepiness, the amazing storyteller. Steve Ditko was an amazing draftsman. He, he was actually ahead of his craft. He was further along in it as a developed artist when Marvel started than Kirby was. Kirby would round into form in the 60s, the, the late 60 and 70 numberings of the Fantastic Four. But if you look back, Steve Ditko was so accomplished, so polished. He fell off after a couple of years with Spider-Man over disputes with Stan Lee over some credit issues, and he would leave. And Stan hired John Romita Sr., who rose to the occasion and did the most celebrated run of that age. And and John Romita Sr.'s Spider-Man, this is the most important, became the most licensed image. Uh, if it was on a lunch pail, if it was on a calendar, if it was on a poster, if it was on a t-shirt, the chances were that it was a John Romita Sr. illustration of Spider-Man. So he is the art director now, the senior art director, no longer drawing monthly comics. His job is to oversee the quality control of Marvel Comics. If you turn in a cover, as so many did, including Jack Kirby, including Dave Cockrum, including uh, George Perez, including, yes, even early in my career, Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld got John Romita senior He would go in and go, nah, I think this looks a little more like the character that we want to be depicting here. He wanted to keep characters on model. He wanted to make things look like Marvel expected them to look. He he had that role and that authority as art director. Well, he would ultimately, very obviously, as you can see in this Superman Spider-Man adventure, he would polish so many of the faces. There is there are entire sequences in this Treasury Edition Superman Spider-Man amazing uh, story. That, that you would see uh, Peter Parker has been retouched and this is no longer a Ross Andrew face you are looking at. These are Ross Andrew Peter Parker figures, but but even right here at the top of page 39, if you get this, it says 39 down there. I love that all the pages are numbered. Peter Parker is arguing with J. Jonah Jameson and all of the faces on this page have a have been redrawn, pasted over, touched up, that is John Romita Sr.'s brush. This is the importance of this comic. This is how big everybody knew this comic was going to be. Dick Giordano delivers some of the most breathtaking pen and ink work. Inking is not just tracing as they have covered in, in movies like Chasing Amy. An inker is an additional artist brought in on top to sometimes polish, sometimes just merely enhance, clean up the lines. Their job is not to redraw the penciler unless they have been indicated to do so or unless the penciler was doing what's called breakdowns. Well, Dick Giordano could do all of it. He could finish your breakdowns. He could polish you. He could enhance you. He could he could go to whatever level was necessary. He is literally uh, top five, top three inker embellisher in the history of comic books. And let me tell you, Neil Adams, George Perez, Irv Novick, Dick Dillon, John Byrne, he's inked. All the greats. He has inked 
all the greats, and himself is a great. And his work with Neil Adams over Neil's work at DC, Green Lantern, Batman, Dick, had more than established himself as the go-to guy in the business. At this time, he is the number one inker. Dick Giordano is the number one choice. So when Dick, when DC goes, Dick is going to ink you, Ross. You have to live with this. Ross Andrew apparently wasn't terribly thrilled with this and would tell... Uh, you know, uh, his, 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 his peers that he was not pleased with the fact that he did not get to get the anchor that he wanted. Again, Dick Giordano would talk about this. Neil Adams would discuss this in several different interviews reflecting on these works in really 2015, 2016, this stuff starts to come to light. And this is after I get to Cleveland and I get to Neil Adams and I make sure that while we're setting up and the public hasn't been let in, so it's 2014 again, I am now in Cleveland. My wife accompanied me on this trip. It's an absolute blizzard outside. It was one of the funnest conventions we had in recent memories. And there's a blizzard, right? And they shut down the schools because you can't have freezing school. You can't have school kids freezing at the bus stops waiting to get on the buses going to school. I had wondered how this would impact the convention. It turned out the convention was monster jam-packed. Because if the kids aren't going to school, they're coming to the comic convention. And uh, just a tremendous outing. Again, Neil, Stan, both going to be in attendance. Neil Adams is positioned just down the table, the, 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 the front aisle from me. And I make sure that I make a beeline to him. He is sitting there at his desk with his lovely wife. I approach, I've known Neil for many years. At this point, I've been in comics in 2014, 28 years. I approach Neil. And I pull out my copy of Superman versus Spider-Man, my original tabloid edition. And I hand it to him. And Neil Adams, he looks at me with a grin. And he goes, well, what, what, why are you giving me this? Why are you giving me this? And then he pauses and he goes, is, is this because of all the work I've done this? I said, yeah, you know why I'm giving this to you. Come on, man. Neil accepts it accepts it and says, oh, I had such a good time working on this. I said, would you please tell me about this? Because it is obvious to me now, especially as an older professional, that it wasn't just magic that made Ross Andrew depict Superman in the best possible way he had ever drawn. He would never draw Superman or Spider-Man for that matter, as well as he did in this book. Ross Andrew, very talented, capable, attractive penciler, commercial appeal, but Neil Adams is a next level. It's he is a next level. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it really is is you got a B plus guy and you got an A plus guy, and Neil Adams is the A plus guy. Okay, uh, in this book, one of the reasons that Superman and Spider Man soars as it does and is so brilliant and beautiful and spectacular is the use of the format that multiple. Splash pages, double page spreads. They, I mean, it's cinematic. This is, in my memory, the first summer blockbuster comic book. That's what this is. Superman, Spider-Man, released in January, but a summer blockbuster popcorn super giant adventure movie I, with top build icons, top build icons who are the stars of this. The figurehead character for Marvel, the figurehead iconic character for DC, Superman, Spider-Man. That's who we've got in both corners. It did not disappoint. Ross Andrews' forte was absolute stunning page design, storytelling, and composition. This guy 
th- there was no shot he would not attempt. He had huge, big balls, tilted angles, shots. I mean, this guy went for it. As a cinematographer, He, you did not have a dull moment. He would tilt that camera, worm's eye view, bird's eye view, um, you know, just amazing shots. I mean, the page two and three of this book are, are, a, are a giant shot of Superman flying down the streets. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bird's eye view of Superman flying straight towards a, 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 a giant robot that is walking through a skyscraper. He is on the other side of walking through a skyscraper and you see all the cars on the streets and all the buildings behind him and Superman is flying. Our perspective is from Superman's feet and cape throughout his elongated form and his outstretched arms as he is flying towards this giant robot. Is page two and three is this amazing tilted angle, just beautifully illustrated shot. And that is after the splash page when you open the book of Superman and Spider-Man squaring off each other like basically in this corner, Superman in this corner, Spider-Man, this is the story you're about to read. At last, the greatest team up of all time. This is it. The battle of the century, the blurb says. And then again, you you just go right into Superman is flying in a giant robot. Then there's splash page after splash page when Spider-Man and Superman throw down for the first time when they meet the, the, the page where they meet. Spider-Man is... Full splash page swinging towards Superman's full splash page. It is, I cannot even imagine uh, owning that piece of artwork. It is a piece of comic book history, memorabilia. It's big. This book went big in all the right places. When Peter Parker, Lois Lane, and Clark Kent are encountering each other for the first time, it's a quieter moment, but it's a double page spread. This, this book took advantage of the format in ways that I have never seen in, in 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 so many different instances where you go, are these people going to take care to take advantage of this format, or are they going to let this opportunity slide? This creative team did not let this opportunity slide. Doc Ock and and uh, and Lex Luthor are introduced in vignettes that begin the book. There's two preludes: Superman taking down Lex Luthor. This is the scientist Lex Luthor, not the billionaire mogul kingpin of crime version that would emerge in the late 80s via John Byrne's reboot. This is still the scientist. Purple and green, Lex Luthor, jetpacks, ray guns. He's much more of an action-oriented supervillain uh, against uh, Superman and very much still, okay, total chrome dome, the bald guy that we've come to know and love. And just remember, Superboy saved Lex Luthor from a burning house. And in that fire, it cost Lex Luthor his hair. And Lex Luthor would then swear to get vengeance upon Superman because of the loss of that hair in that origin that I read in the 1970s, and that is the 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 grist that uh, would 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 grind Luthor against Superman, and uh, and that would 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 cause him to be at odds with him so many times. His resentment for Superman slash Superboy from what happened as a kid, loss the loss of the hair. These are the huge motivations of the Silver Age. That would power us, but we got the cool Lex Luthor super scientist in this. The next prelude is Doc Ock being taken out about Spider by Spider-Man. So Luthor is defeated, Ock is de- defeated, and then you get a double pager of Lex Luthor walking by Doc Ock's cell in the third prelude to show that they've been put in the same prison together. And that's when Luthor reveals he has a sonic uh, uh, device that he brought in through his ear he he activates it wipes everybody out 
uh, strikes a deal with Doc Ock and they both break out. And that is your beginning. That is before chapter one because when you get to chapter one, it's a double pager. Clark and Lois are coming up an escalator. Peter Parker is coming out the stairwell. They are both going to the giant science conference where they are going to be introduced to Com Labs, a new sat uh, scientific satellite laboratory. And that's driving the the narrative of this story in Jerry Conway's brilliant brilliant um you know one issue spectacular that teamed up these characters so ross andrew rises to the occasion delivers these breathtaking visuals but why is it that superman and spider-man look as amazing as they do superman so neil adams superman when neil adams drew anything in the 60s or the 70s if he drew batman if he drew superman if he drew green lantern they were instantly the best-looking versions of those respective characters, instantly the most licensed versions. You've seen Neil Adams Superman. You, if, if you are a young man, you have seen Neil Adams Superman on some sort of licensing, on his t-shirt at Target, at Walmart, on some sort of poster or calendar. His Superman became the de facto Superman of all time. So handsome, so chiseled, the proportions, just every other Superman that has come after his has been influenced by him. John Byrne, Jim Lee, everybody is biting off of Neil's breathtaking rendition, the most perfect Superman ever. Same with Batman. Neil's Batman instantly became the best Batman that ever was. His Green Lantern is the Green Lantern. Neil's renditions of these characters will become the rock that everyone else would break themselves against. Because you're really, if he drew a character for the most part, you were playing for second place. You were not going to unseat him, and that maintains itself to this day. Neil is super handsome, especially that you'd go back in his younger days and people would tell me, oh, did you see Neil drew himself? He was always drawing himself. He'd take his shirt off. You'd see photos in these uh, magazines interviewing Neil of him in his 30s, ripped, shirt off, in front of the mirror, posing, and he's a very handsome man. So he was, you know, grafting his own attractiveness onto Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, Hal Jordan, and it showed. these these Neil's talent at, at drawing attractive characters is second to none. Try and get a casual Neil Adams page. See what that costs you. See what that sets you back. Put me to the test here. Superman Muhammad Ali is the single best illustrated comic book of all time. This is the runner-up, in my opinion, format, uh, the ad advantages of the format, the amazing shots that were chosen. Ross Andrew, as, as a storyteller, is what Neil, as an illustrator, did not pick a bad shot just always made the right call in terms of some dramatic uh, composition that would draw your eyes, that would blow you away. But here there's an extra polish on Superman and Spider-Man. And so Neil Adams recounts the story of when Ross Andrew dropped these pages off for Dick Giordano to ink. I've already mentioned that the Peter Parkers are clearly enhanced, pasted over, touched up by John Romita Sr. in you can even go to the most casual wiki and that mentions the John Romita Sr. interaction. And in years, in years, in recent years, they've actually added this Neil Adams stuff, which, you know, I had discovered in the mid 2000s that Neil had drawn on these pages. So here's the deal. And in Back Issue Magazine, Dick Giordano and Neil also cover this. But I'm going to tell you what Neil tells me to my face as he pours through this book before he actually signs it. He says, yeah, no, Rob, this was a really amazing opportunity. He said, when Ross Andrew dropped these pages off on Dick's table, 
and I poured over them and I looked at them. I was really impressed. You know what a great storyteller Ross is. This is Neil telling me, but, but he said, man, this was a giant event. When are you going to get Superman and Spider-Man together again? They've never appeared together. Marvel's biggest, DC's biggest. And you know, Rob, they may, they may never appear again. This may be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I was like, we should, we should try and make this the very best we possibly can. Neil's being humble. Neil is a master illustrator. He is of the elite class. Ross Andrew is fantastic, not in the same illustrative class as Neil. Few are, and, and, uh, and Neil decided, because his renditions of these characters, especially Superman, was so popular... He discussed with Dick Giordano, I would like to enhance these. Allow me to draw over these. Tell Ross, see, get Ross's feedback. Neil claims that Ross was informed and signed off on it. Why not? Neil's not trying to grab a paycheck here. Neil's not trying to get extra compensation. Neil is thinking of the project, the success of the project, the impact of the project. Dick Giordano uh, agrees and has said that he uh, allowed... Neil to draw over the Superman's faces, figures, and it's obvious he didn't stop there. He also enhanced Spider-Man. There's Doc Ock pages he enhanced, Clark Kent's, and uh, Neil would build out his traditional chiseled figure, the the anatomy and the the abs, the the uh, just just the rendered arms. What Neil was, what his, what his speciality was, also the. Enhancement of the figures, the the, the cheekbones, the the noses, the, the 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 deep eyes that Neil could pull off. It is so obvious in these giant shots. I mean, these are big, big shots, and Superman has never looked better, and Spider-Man has never looked better. So you've got this amazing these these layouts and breakdowns, and then you've got the best finisher in the business. He did not ink them. He, as Dick Giordano said, he ink these pages in pencil. And Neil said in his own words, I chiseled the faces, I enhanced the figures. And again, when you look at this, you will see, you will go, oh, I, I, I realized. Now I'm looking at a Neil Adams enhanced version of Superman and Spider-Man. And we are the better for it. How awesome that he stepped in and did this. Now then Dick would ink over his pencils on top of Superman and the assorted Spider-Man. And later on, there is a killer splash page of um, of Superman throttling Doc Ock, and the Doc Ock figure is just so obviously been Neil Adams enhanced. It just stands out. You can just tell when Neil gives you that extra enhancement. If if you go through the rest of the book and you see some of the other muscular figures and bad guys that they faced off against, you'll see. No, Neil didn't touch those. Neil didn't touch those. But the centerpiece of the book, the centerpiece of the book, which takes place. From page 46 to about page, you know, 60 is, yeah, 62, 63 is, it, it, that is a 20-page sequence of Superman and Spider-Man facing off. Now, we'll get to the fact of how could they even face off. Look, I'll tell you right now. Lex Luthor hits Spider-Man with a beam when they meet up and the conflict has been initiated because Luthor obviously tricked them into... Um, Clark Kent into donning his Superman persona and flying outside the, the science fair where they're seeing this giant comm lab uh, satellite for the first time and then alarms Peter Parker to follow and he becomes Spider-Man. They meet up, they have this giant fight because Lex Luthor hits Spider-Man with a device that uh, channels 
the red sun or the uh, uh, you know what you know l l l let me just read it specifically to you because it's very funny when when Doc Ock's like how are you pulling that off and 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 uh, and our good friend <clears throat> our our, our our good friend uh, Lex Luthor is is breaking it down with the most casual. Uh, I am hitting him with a red sun radiation device that I prepared. Okay, there you go. Red sun radiation device. Don't you love comics? Boom. It hits Spider-Man. It enhances Spider-Man's power. It dials down Superman's power. This is how you get Superman versus Spider-Man. Okay? This is how they were able to have fisticuffs. And Superman is completely surprised when Spider-Man punches him through a series of buildings and knocks him to the ground and can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And of course, off in the corner on some adjacent building, Lex Luthor and Doc Ock are laughing because Lex Luthor has, you know, made all this possible and, and hopefully gets these guys to take each other out. The actual battle itself is so sprawling and brilliant, and there is a shot on page... Uh, on, 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 on page 48, where Superman is flying upside down on the page that could just simply be an entire Neil Adams rendition. It is so brilliant. There is a splash page when Spider-Man hits Superman for the first time. It is a full-page splash. Kapow! And, and uh, Superman is flying into him and says, Look, you're making a mistake. And Spider-Man, you said, You bet there's been a mistake. And Buster, you made it. Boom! Giant. This three quarters of the page is this amazing Superman posed figure. Ross Andrew did this amazing gesture. And then Neil comes in and chisels the crap out of it. Adds his penciling rendering. Finishes. Dick Giordano then finishes over that. And according to Dick, Nick Neil also went in after Dick inked the pages. And he added his own maybe little pen, pen renderings on top of Dick's brushwork. And this is all chronicled in back issue magazines. It's uh, it's different interviews these guys have gotten. But I sat there as Neil would turn these pages and you could see Neil's smile on his face, the affection he had for doing this job. Neil really thought the moment was gigantic and the moment should be met in the best possible way. And we all benefited because for years I wondered how Ross Andrew rose to the occasion and and, and this was the best Ross Andrew job I have ever seen. It, it not was, it is. It is the best Ross Andrew job I've ever seen. And now the secrets were being, you know, uncorked that Neil Adams polished all of the Superman figures at a time when Superman was most synonymous with Neil Adams' renderings of him. And John Romita Sr. was polishing the Peter Parkers. And it was no slight to Ross Andrew. This was a big gig, 90 pages. Dick Giordano actually spoke of one of the reasons that that, that gave Neil the opening was that Ross, the deadline was daunting and Ross was maybe not able to finish the pages to the level of expectations that everybody had. But again, let's, let's, let's underscore this. A publisher did not come to Neil and say, Hey, can you, you know, can you do a pass on this? We'll cover you. Dick Giordano worked out of Neil studios, Neil studios, were producing the best illustrations in comic books. Neil, at the same time, was inking greats like John Buscema, Gene Colan. Matter of fact, when Neil is flipping through this, and I told him that I was collecting the Tarzans that he had inked over John Buscema, Neil Adams said to me, he said, well, you know why that is? And I said, why is that? He goes, well, Rob, I'm the best inker anyone's ever had. 
if I inked you, it's the best inks you ever got. And he said it with a big grin because he's Neil Adams. He knows how freaking talented it is. It's like Michael Jordan, okay? He's the Michael Jordan of comic books. He's like, come on. If you give me a basketball, I'm going to I'm gonna dazzle you. And if you're my teammate, I'm going to put you in the best position to succeed. I'm, and I'm going to definitely give you championships. Neil Adams says to me, come on, Rob. I was Gene Cohen's best inker, John Buscema's best inker. He goes, that there was nobody, if I didn't touch you, that I wasn't your best inker. He goes, I, and I loved it. I, I loved jamming with these guys. But he said it with such confidence. And he would pour over this and he's like, oh, this one, this one, this was so fun to do. Oh, I'm so happy with this, how this came out. He goes, look, the book, the book deserved it. And he would always say, this is no slight to Ross. But this was a big moment in comics. And I'm telling you, I remember shaking when I saw the book. A book I did not see coming. A book that was not forecast. A book that came out of literally nowhere. DC Marvel present the greatest superhero team up of all time. Guys, this book is a winner. It's a keeper. I mean, again, you've got Jerry Conway that crafts this amazing story about Doc Ock and Lex Luthor combining to swipe this satellite in the sky and use it as a weapon. It takes place in Manhattan. We travel all the way to Africa. It is the gold standard of superhero team-up books. Both companies did team-up books. Brave and the Bold, Batman, and you know a different character every month. Green Arrow, Metal Man, uh, Metal Man, uh, uh, Superman, Adam Strange. You know, then Superman had DC Comics present shortly after this, where he would team up with. You know, Green Arrow, Aquaman, uh, you know, the Legion of Superheroes, the Titans. Spider-Man had his own dedicated team-up series where he teamed up with everybody. Hulk, Thor, Fantastic Four, the Human Torch, Captain America, Doctor Strange. But now DC's best and brightest and Marvel's best and brightest are jamming together on this giant edition. Let me go ahead and read Stan Lee's uh, intro to this. It's fantastic. A soliloquy from Stan Lee is the inside front cover of your Spider-Man, Superman, Treasury Edition, Battle of the Century. We were told it couldn't be done. They said it would be impossible. After all, Marvel and DC are the comic book world's biggest competitors. But we had one thing going for us. DC's head honcho and I have been friends for years. In fact, we actually collaborated on strips in the early days of comic books. I wrote them, he drew them. And in the past few years, whenever we'd meet at an industry dinner or a fan convention, the talk would turn to the one thing we both knew would someday have to happen. The one thing that all of fandom was clamoring for. We knew we couldn't keep our top heroes apart any longer. Readers everywhere were demanding a team-up of the best of the old and the best of the new. Superman, the first most powerful, most cape crusader of them all, and Spider-Man, the newest, most realistic, most popular wall crawler on the scene. Today, both together in one titanic, unforgettable adventure. And down here at the bottom, as I said, and a special tip of the superhero helmet to David Obst, literary agent extraordinaire who single-handedly started this entire project on its wondrous way. That is Stan giving his hyperbole, his excitement. That's how big of a deal this was. Now, Carmen Infantino, the publisher for DC Comics, weighed in saying, I'm just going to read to you. He basically said, the planning and the perspiring are now behind us. The pleasure is before you. 
I want to make a dedication. I know I speak for Stan as well when I dedicate this book to all the greats of yesterday and today who have made comics a true art form for tomorrow. This moment is now. So, again, your credits read Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew, Dick Giordano, lettered by Gaspar Saladino, colored by Jerry Serpy, and a ton of editors. Roy Thomas, Julius Hortz, Marv Wolfman, and E. Nelson Bridwell. So, two for Marvel, two for DC. There's the creative team. You do not read John Romita Sr.'s uh, credits in this. You do not read Neil Adams' credits in this. Terry Austin inked all the backgrounds. He was Dick Giordano's background assistant. He is not credited in this. Something as big and sprawling as this 90-page adventure was taxed both Ross Andrew as a penciler, Dick Giordano as an inker, all hands on deck. Neil Adams shows up, says, you know, I can enhance these and make this even better. Dick Giordano wisely defers, uh, they say, with Ross's blessing, and Neil enhances this. Two bucks, again, at least a dollar uh, on top of what this would cost as three separate issues as a result of the giant event that it was. Just as big as you could possibly imagine. Now, this would go on to spawn a sequel that would arrive five years later. I, I think the sequel is um, is an interesting experiment. It's it's well done. It's got a great creative team. All Marvel this time because they now would divvy them up by company. And, and the sequel is by John Buscema and Joe Sinnott on art. Brilliant, really nice, but very much not in the in the zone or the vein that this is in. It does not utilize the format. You're going to hear me again and again and again talk format, format, format. Comic books are visual, people. You want to read a story without pictures? Go read a novel. Um, you know, uh, uh, comic books are sequential art, and the giant sprawling visuals are what carry Spider-Man versus Superman over the threshold of greatness. The uh, the the Ross Andrew stepped up and created. Big moment after big moment after big moment. Drew the crap out of this book. Did it obviously under a tremendous deadline. Neil Adams comes in, polishes Dick Giordano, the best inker of his age. The follow-up is, is is I have it right here, Superman and Spider-Man. They're not, they're not verses anymore. It's Superman and Spider-Man. And uh, Jim Shooter wrote it. John Buscema uh, uh, drew it. Joe Sinnott inked it. All top talents. But very much plagued by what would go on to be kind of Jim Shooter's uh, uh, calling card is grid, 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 six panels, seven panels, eight panels. This book, I I don't believe it has a double page splash or a splash page in it. As a matter of fact, I cannot find one as I pour through it. This book doubles down. It adds the Hulk. It adds Wonder Woman. So we get additional um, characters. It's got Dr. Doom and the Parasite as the bad guys. But I am telling you right now, as great of an effort as the follow-up is and I'm not sure why it took five years to arrive it does not have the punch on any level that the original does and the only one that comes close like I said and I, I, I do believe after seeing this Neil was more inspired to get Muhammad Ali's Superman off the ground and go you know I can do this all on my own I don't have to just be polishing Superman I can draw the very best Superman uh, uh, one interesting thing to note I, I mentioned it here earlier uh, if they would still license together and, and jam together, we would have this Spider-Man meeting Superman double page spread on page 46, 47. This would be on all of our walls. But this is not the time of Marvel and DC anymore. This is the time of AT&T and, and uh, Disney. Giant corporations own these characters, these, these publishing imprints now, and they don't always play together or play nice. And unfortunately, there has not been a team-up 
of either company in the better part of 20 years. Specifically, it could be 17 and a half years now, whatever. Uh, they have not teamed up in a very long time. I don't have any hope that they will be in the future. I'm so fortunate that we got the run of books that we did get. In another installment, we're going to examine where these go from here. Again, I'll look more into the sequel. And then Batman Hulk was the next book. And then X-Men Titans was the book after that. And then we were supposed to get the sprawling GALA, Justice League Avengers. And that is where everything hit the skids. And nothing would move forward for, I believe, 17 years following that. Uh, 16, 16, 17 years following that. But this is the one that started them all. This is the one that shocked uh, kids of my generation. You had the big, the big dogs from both companies. Look... Marvel and DC have and remain, they are. They have remained and continue to be the two big players in the business. Uh, comic book companies like Image, uh, a company that I have a great history with, helped launch. We have been a formidable number three company and, and, and at one point in time, we're the number two publisher. We have given them a run for their money, but it has always been about Marvel and DC. And in 1976, when they made this, uh, comic book and they didn't phone it in that's what I mean really need to emphasize everyone on the assignment rose to the occasion in the biggest most spectacular fashion and delivered just a monster effort and from Neil Adams not getting paid to enhance the entire book flip through it get it you'll see what I'm saying it is it is evident to the naked eye Neil was so generous he signed the book for me right under Superman the next day I encountered Stan Lee. I asked Stan Lee to sign it. Stan was very excited and Stan said, you know, this this came about due to the Watergate guys. And that just made me laugh because obviously he's he it, it was still ingrained in his memory in 2014 that this was a, a product of a literary agent who obviously he famously thanks David Obst. Jerry Conway thanks David Obst in his foreword in the uh Reprint of this in in 1991. Marvel and DC reprinted them in a trade paperback called Crossover Classics. I'm holding it in my hands. It is eight and a half by eleven. It is a much smaller offering. Everything that is wonderful big is small. I do not recommend this. Is how you consume these books. Try. It's nice. It's great to have it on the shelf. I obviously have it on the shelf. I've had it since then. The selling point is the George Perez wraparound cover. The back cover is all the villains and the guest stars and the front cover is everybody, all the Marvel heroes charging all the DC heroes. It is what George does best. But the, but seeing Spider-Man versus Superman on 8.5 by 11 is not the same. It's not the format that it was intended for. So I, I truly hope that you guys can get a shot at looking at this. Find them, search them out. Maybe your comic store has it. Definitely be on the hunt for it at the comic conventions. But this was a massive deal. And like I said, it signaled uh, a, a decade of crossovers between these two companies that were giant event books. Some lipped up to the hype. Some were clearly micromanaged. Could John Buscema do giant big double page splash page? He could do them with the best of them. He was clearly not able to because of the either amount of story or I know for a fact from meeting and talking to Jim, Jim loves the grid, the six panel, seven panel, eight panel grid. It feels like John was held back on the follow-up, which is bizarre. He is uh, he is an A-plus list elite penciler along the lines of Neil Adams, but he was not able to strut. 
Superman and versus Amazing Spider-Man is a comic book that struts. It's a peacock. It knows what it's doing. It is there to entertain you. It stands up. This book stands up as one of the most entertaining comic books I have ever read. It stands up all these years later. The uh, As I said, in a future installment, we'll go further down the history of Marvel and DC teaming their characters up together. This book was a seminal event brought together by big, big talents of its time. You got some of the behind the scenes, some of the guys who helped make this such a great comic. And uh, and Neil is, is I, I would follow up with him again at another show because I just always would love talking to him about how he approached it. And, and he said how he got his kneaded eraser, one of these gray kind of rubbery erasers, if you've ever encountered them in an art class. And he dabbed over Ross Andrews' pencils, lightening them so that they would become, you know, just kind of a gray tone on the page. And then he went in and, as he said, chiseled out the figures in a more Neil Adams rendering style. And then Dick would go over that. And again, we are all the beneficiaries. There is artists on top of artists that are uncredited here, but it's, um, these are uh, from quotes. Neil told me himself, but later in 2015, Back Issue Magazine would interview, uh, would, would post interviews with, uh, Dick Giordano, who they did back in the day, uh, who recounted what he did back in the day and how that all played out. The Ross Andrew and the Mike Esposito kind of grind and Ross's telling Dick, I, I really wanted someone else to ink me. And Dick saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to do the best I can. Neil saying, look, I need to apply this. John Romita Sr. is open in his, uh, in his, his uh, you know, claims that he touched up Peter Parker and Spider-Man along the way. And again, what do I say? We won. We got simply the best intercompany crossover and one of the best team-up books of all space and time. And comics are awesome. You know, you're only going to experience Spider-Man versus Superman on a comic book at this point in time. And that is how it should be. You know, maybe 20 years from now, Disney owns AT&T, AT&T owns Disney, Apple owns both, Amazon owns everybody, and they all go, hey, let's start jamming these characters together. There's nothing stopping me. I own I own both of them. The treasure chest has both of them. I hope I'm around if that happens. I'm, I hope I'm around. Maybe they'll get a great animated uh, movie out of this. A, a version of this, like Into the Spider-Verse, would just entertain people in a way that you've never seen just just adapt this story it's so good it's satellite technology it's two bad guys pitting their their foes against each other it's got an international bend to it it is so much fun and what has been so much fun is recounting it to you i hope that you can encounter this i hope if you experience this on any level that revisiting this was fun for you this is how titans clash this is how they get together and they jam and they make something special for all of us and it was it was and remains a highlight in my uh, comic book consumption. I am so happy. I'm looking at both my signed copies right now. Of course, the second book that I had, I said I brought two books to Cleveland, was the Superman Spider-Man sequel, which I think is admirable, but nowhere near the oomph of the first one. And Stan and Joe Sinnott signed the sequel. Neil Adams and Stan Lee signed uh, this one, I, Jerry Conway owes me a signature. Unfortunately, so many of the other players who brought us this have long since passed. But thank you for hanging out with me on another observations as we build brick by brick this journey. See where we're going. The splashes and the big images in this book are 
inspirational. They would inspire everybody from my generation to do stuff that was more like this. And in fact, in the 90s, we would. But that is way, way ahead of, of where we are. Um, thanks for stopping off with me today. Please stay safe. Um, be good. Be good to each other. Love each other. And I am so thankful that we get to spend this time together. I'm going to talk to you again next week on future installments of Rob Observations. Thank you. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.